Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Unbeatable. If you typically watch this broadcast, you're going to notice immediately that I am recording this introduction after this episode. I had the privilege of sitting down several weeks ago with Mark Stone and Mickey Shields, the guys who built the brand that became known as Nighthawk Customs Guns. Now, I recorded this episode before the Uvalde school shooting and the other mass shootings happened in the United States. But before I even start the interview, I really want you to know where I am on this subject. I am a guy who is a gun owner, but I am also a guy that says the whole gun rights idea may be getting out of control if you're the kind of person that believes any person should be able to own any gun for any reason. That idea is insane, and that's the idea that leads to the conditions where some of these mass shootings can happen. Right now, all over in the United States, there is political um, mudslinging back and forth on this issue. And I'm a guy who strongly believes in gun ownership, but I am at the same time a guy who believes in responsible gun rights, which means there are a lot of people that just simply shouldn't own guns in our country. There are some guns that most people should never be able to own. That's where I stand on this issue. And now that I've said my piece, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let the announcer set up this episode, and then you get a chance to hear from these two guys who went through incredible hardships and built one of the most prestigious names in the gun industry. When you hear from Mickey and Mark, the leaders of Nighthawk Customs, I hope you enjoy this episode. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Mickey Shields, Mark Stone, tell me how you guys got connected with each other five and a half plus years ago. I'll start it and then Mickey can straighten it out. Okay. Um, about five and a half or six years ago, uh, I was going to church with and Mickey's brother, believe it or not, Mickey's brother is a pastor. His dad's a pastor, has long lines of pastors. And, uh, I didn't know Mickey at all, but I knew his brother. I'd known his brother for about 25 years. And one day Josh said, Hey, my, my brother's thinking about moving back to the area and uh, being closer to family and, and not traveling so many days a year and, and uh, just enjoying life a little more. And you ought to really talk to him, Mark. He, he is a manager. He can sell anything. People love him. And I said, well, I, I want to meet him. And, and uh, Mickey came in, and uh, he kind of went over his uh, his history, and I thought, boy, I can't afford Mickey. <laughs> you know, but God sent Mickey here, and the first day after that, I told Mickey, I said, man, I can't afford you. And and, uh, and Mickey said, you're right, you can't. I'd love to have you. <laughs> I'd love to have you. And, uh, and then two or three weeks later, we got together, and uh, – Mickey actually made me a uh, uh, an offer and said, "Hey, uh, uh, you'll never have to pay me anything I don't earn." And and uh, we worked a deal out, and he didn't lie about that. He does a wonderful job, and and he's just been a a blessing. And and people leads a great uh, account managers yeah. team. We have a team that sells guns all over. Uh, not only the U.S. but overseas as well, and twenty-one different countries. And that's wow. that's how we uh, that's how we got together. Yeah, Mickey. Anything you want to add to that story? Uh, that's that's kind of it uh, in a nutshell, Jeff. It, you know, uh, my my dad was a was a pastor. Both of my brothers are pastors. Uh, it's not a job that I ever wanted. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit interested in being a pastor. I think it's the worst job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, having seen it up close and personal, I, I am telling you the truth when I'm when I tell you I, I just would not ever. I take my hat off to you and and uh, your brothers and your dad and others like us, right? They're willing to do it because it is a thankless. It it truly has to be a calling uh, because if it, if you're not called, you won't last long. Yeah, doing that. yeah. And, uh, but Mickey, Mickey's uh, uh, 
his whole family is blessed with music. He plays guitar. He has a great voice. As All you right. Tell. I have a voice that sounds like it's down in a well or something, but, yeah. uh, uh, Mickey has a great voice and he, uh, overseas manages a, our worship team at church. But, yeah. uh, I don't know. That's how, how, how it happened. What, what, yeah, I, you know, Jeff, I've never been on a sal. I literally have never been on a salary in my life. Really? No. You know, uh, I started off a long time ago on commission and, and I learned the value of, of being able to make what you want to make and, uh, set your own expectations uh-huh. and not have to wait on somebody to give you a 4% a year raise and act yeah. like you're glad about it. And, um, and so, uh, I could, I could see, and, and I had a feeling for Mark and my brother thinks, so highly of him uh-huh. and, um, because of that, I had a level of trust with him that, uh, you know, maybe wouldn't have been there if, if, uh, if I didn't have some type of insight into his life, but I did. And, uh, I'll tell you this, it's the funnest job I've ever had. All right. And, uh, it, it's just been a blessing to, uh, me and my family and, and, um, I hope a lot of other families. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners who are uh, not familiar with your names, I'll just tell them you guys are the leaders. Uh, Mark, you're the founder and Mickey, you're the VP of sales at Nighthawk Customs, which creates some of, if not the best guns on the planet. Let's just be honest. You guys pretty much make the best guns on the planet, right? We certainly would argue that point. Yeah. Scientifically proven that we make that you guys make the best guns on the planet. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw my two cents in there. I do think you guys are making the most beautiful and some of the best guns on the planet as well. So uh, you're not going to get any argument here. Um, I want to talk about how Nighthawk Customs got its start. Um, Mark, why did you guys, why did you and a couple of buddies come together and say, we need to start building some 1911s um, and how this whole thing got started. So either one of you go ahead and kick this off and tell us how did Nighthawk get it start? I, uh, my wife tells me, so interrupt me every once in a while, speed me up. I'm a, I'm kind of a, I'm a Southern guy from Arkansas and I talk slow and, and my wife tells me I drag stories out too long, but Moved to Berryville and actually started working for Tyson Foods and met my wife and mm-hmm. and thought uh, had to figure out a way to make a living in Berryville, Arkansas. Always wanted to have businesses and uh, lived in a one bedroom apartment uh, at Magnolia Village and and uh, didn't know anyone, didn't have any land, didn't have much going on. And and uh, one time I prayed uh, several times I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, you know, please bless me. Uh, where I always have something going, I have some business of my mm-hmm. own, and and uh, that I can create an environment that uh, will treat people right and be fair and and uh, provide something good. So we start out with just some small other businesses, and uh, after with saving time on the story, uh, I was kind of running short on time and. Uh, buddy of mine had some storage buildings down in Russellville, Arkansas, and I don't think I've ever had an original idea. So I'm not a super smart guy, but, uh, so I built a storage facility. I thought, Hey, I'll get a manager and, and, uh, we, uh, she can run that. I kind of oversee it between all my other things, my full-time job and, and, uh, thought I'd done my research, but, uh, built a, 16,800 square foot climate control building. And it was kind of like that movie filled a dream. Yeah. Build it, if you come. build it, they'll come. Yep. Well, they weren't coming. <laughs> and, uh, the Lord must've had a plan because I really thought I did my research. And what I figured out is I did it in an area in Northwest Arkansas where the people in town uh, had nice houses. They made money, but they didn't have space. But when you moved it to Berryville, a small rural community, mm-hmm the people that had money had land and space and storage and they didn't need climate control and went to church. Some guys, uh, 
really truly didn't know anything about the 1911 business. Uh, I knew I loved uh, 1911s. Uh, uh, south of here's our main competitor, Wilson Combat. Mm-hmm. Mentioned their name, and and uh, I I knew they built beautiful guns, and I always thought I'd want one. And but at that time, we were just investing in our businesses. We didn't buy things that didn't really make money, and and uh, so that's really all I knew about it. So one day I went to church one Sunday. And I wasn't renting these climate controlled storage units. And, and after church, uh, a couple of guys said, Hey, Mark, we'd like to talk to you about uh, getting in the gun business. And, and that's really, so Nighthawk started on a Sunday after church. After church. All right. And uh, started with no name and no vendors, no uh, accounting system, no sales system, no people. And just that's the way we started. Yeah. Um, You guys already know about me and the audience does as well. And it'll be pretty obvious about you two. I'm a guy like you that loves God and loves guns at the same time. Um, I don't see any problem with these two, but I'm sure you have, like I have, ran into people who they don't understand. How can you both love God and love guns at the same time? I have been asked that question countless times. I'm assuming that you guys have been asked this question. And if so, how do you answer the person that says, how can you both love God and love guns? Maybe you go first. I've talked too much already. You know, Jeff, when, when somebody asks me what I do, uh, that's a question that always comes up. It doesn't matter if you're sitting on an airplane, if you're at some type of a reception, uh, it comes around, what do you do? And my answer is simply, I sell guns. And <laughs> that I, ought to shut the conversation down pretty quick for, for some, for a category of people, right? There's a reason why that I do that because I know it's a rhetorical question where I know the two answers. Uh, one is either a look of contempt uh-huh. and it shuts the conversation down. The other one is, uh, somebody is as giddy as we are they're, about. They're, they're looking to buy. Now I'm pleased to tell you that I find that, 99 out of 100 people are happy about it. And so it, it parlays into uh, a lot of different avenues. And I think we saw during the first part of the pandemic, the fact that a lot of people uh, that believe in God recognize the value of a gun. And mm-hmm. for no other reason, that they couldn't, if you had a gun, a lot of first time gun buyers during that time, and if you had a gun, nobody could steal your toilet paper stash. So <laughs> your mountain of toilet paper in the backyard. Who, who'd ever thunk it? Right. You know? But uh, I I believe that God uh, expects us uh, to defend our position. I believe that He expects us to uh, to go to bat for Him, just like He has gone to bat for us. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of, of me being able to let the two coexist peacefully, I don't think he has a problem in the world with me taking care of my family and keeping the, the dregs of society knocked off of them. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a situation where, uh, yes, there are the undesirables, but they're everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and it doesn't matter that, you know, the devil goes to church. So, uh, um, sometimes the devil rises mm-hmm. to church with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just, just depends on how things got, got kicked off that That's morning. Right. You know? So, uh, I, I don't have a problem with either one of them. I love to talk about both. And, um, and I think that, that God expects us to take care of one another. Yeah. Mark, anything you want to add to that uh, when when you get asked this question? Exactly how was the question? Well, the question is, people, when when somebody finds out that you make guns, that's what you do, uh, how do you respond when they find out that you are a guy who follows God and makes guns? I've I've never really had a problem with anyone about it. Even, you know, my family and I went to Cancun on vacation, and and, uh, this guy was a very uh, liberal guy. I've known him for years, but he, I see him every few years down there and, and, uh, he stopped by my, my wife was down on the beach one morning before I was there. And, 
and he said, uh, he stopped, boy, I sure like your husband. He and I don't agree on very many things political, but man, I, I really like your husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, I, I just think it's how, you know, I think it's everything about Mickey has a saying it's, it's, uh, it's not what you say, it's about how you say yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it's, never, it, it's never the message. It's the, it's, it's, it's usually delivery. the messenger. Uh-huh. Delivery. Same football coach can take, take, you know, two different coaches can take the same team right. and get two different results. You know, so oftentimes I find that it's it, it's about what my attitude is toward the person that I'm yeah. talking to, and it's more about the relationship that I build than it is about some difference of, uh-huh. of opinion. Those can be dealt with. Right. I probably blew that, Jeff. No, no, no. I hope while your wife Leah was on the beach down in Cancun and this guy said, I sure like your husband, I hope she said, you know, he's he's taken. He's off the market. <laughs> Kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, Like you guys, I've been around gun-toting people my entire adult life, literally my entire adult life. But I do go to audiences, and usually there's a very small percentage of people in the room that are not very comfortable with gun-toting people. Um, And inevitably, they'll ask me questions about how can you be a, a Christian and such a strong follower of Jesus and do what you did for a living in the United States Army, Jeff. And I've always said the same thing that you guys are saying. Like for me, there was never a contradiction. It was never, um, you know, a problem for me. I realize for others, maybe it is, but it's just not where I come. Uh, that's for me personally. I've just never struggled with that. So I just kind of wondered how you guys generally respond. And, and I, I totally agree, Mickey. It is not so much my message but to them when asked that question, but the way that I word the message that makes the world of difference. Boy, could we use a little bit of yeah. that. Yeah, everybody needs a little bit more of that right now. Okay, so you guys just described you started a gun company uh, early 2000s, 2004, right? 2004. And you started it in a part of Arkansas that already had an incredible gun manufacturer there, Wilson Combat. Um, I know you guys went through some ups and downs. I want you guys to describe a little bit about those first few years together. You can be uh, first few years getting off the ground. Um, you can kind of just uh, paint a picture for the listener about the challenges of building a company from scratch, developing a name that really doesn't exist and nobody knows who you are and nobody knows what you're doing. And then some of the stiff competition, maybe even some of the cutthroat competition. And the reason I'm asking you guys to to describe this for us is because I know there are people listening to this right now who have already started a business or just now starting a business and they're either facing what you guys faced or they're about to. And I'd love for them to learn from you a little bit. So can you tell us about the early days? Uh, yeah, since Mickey wasn't here then, uh, they get to hear from me again. But uh, yeah, it was tough. I, I remember uh, calling and I would say, hey, Jeff, this is Mark Stone from Nighthawk Custom. And they'd say, Nighthawk who? And you'd have to go through the spiel and, and you know, any starting company, I, I don't know exactly. Mickey may know the uh, stats, but you know, a lot of starting businesses fail. They don't make it. Yep. Does anybody know what that percentage is? High. Let's just say a lot. Nine and a half out of ten. Okay. And uh, so you just kind of keep keep calling, and and it's about uh, you know, hey, you can choose to be up or down, or you know, you're your uh, people can feel how you are over the phone and we just kept working uh, and calling and growing and and uh you know hey there's a lot of weeks uh, come on friday and we'd have a stack of bills there yeah uh, hey i'm telling you uh, the way you get in business if you're having trouble in your business you, you better start praying having a relationship with jesus yeah i'm telling you that's really, uh, there's unbelievable things that happen. I can, I couldn't write a book, but, uh, I could have somebody else write a book by just telling all those stories. But, you know, Monday, the check would come in and we keep going and, and you, and you think that, 
you know, every year you'd always have hope, hey, next year it's going to be easier. And you get through next year and it was still difficult. Uh-huh. So, uh, most things aren't a, a quick turn, high success quick. And uh, so we uh, did that. And I, I think my mother and dad, just you know, hey, simple uh, life and family. We didn't have a lot of money. We had a great family. Uh, my dad worked 37 years for Firestone Tire Rubber. All right. And uh, he, he never missed, he missed one day in 37 years. What? Your dad is the Cal Ripken Jr. of Firestone Tires. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And I just learned how to just be consistent over time. Whether you get up and you feel bad, you go to work and you start feeling better. And they also told me that, you know, Mark, uh, you know, hey, keep your reputation. Uh, always do the right thing. You, can, you know, they said, hey, Mark, you can do 100 things right, one thing wrong. What will people remember you by? Yeah, absolutely. And every time that, you know, I was tempted because we really didn't have any money in the beginning to kind of sidestep something. Hey, we just always did the right thing. And what wound up happening was, over time you built these relationships and things just kept happening and no, it didn't happen all at one time. You know, I'd say our first, uh, eight years, I mean, it, we were growing and using any profits we made. To yeah. expand. What happened was, is, you know, other people started seeing those things and, uh, that, Hey, I've been watching, you know, I've heard these things. I've read these articles about you and, and uh, hey, we we want to do the collaboration with you. We love our guy. And then what happens is you have these partnerships and these collaborations with people, and their customers and all the people uh-huh. they know get to know about you. And however few customers we have get to know about them, and it works together. And we're working together, and and magic starts. I mean, it's just it's it's really not magic. It's just the way the world yeah. is. Yeah. Start happening and things start falling together and and uh, it's amazing we uh built a uh, an historic vault in here uh, two and a half or three years ago and in that vault when people come and take a tour they they get to this one wall that has all these collaboration pistols mm-hmm. and i say you know that one doing a hundred things right and one thing wrong yeah. about your reputation. And, but getting your name, if somebody works an entire, their whole life for their name, if they're willing to lend their name to you, they have a huge amount of confidence in you. And it's, it's a great compliment. So I think those things is what really helped. And then uh, things just kept going from there. The right people were coming in to help us and work with us. And, uh, and then the last five, six years, uh, you know, Mickey and Nelson Davis, uh, tons of other people and our machining and everything else is just kind of all now it's starting to just multiply. Uh When you get to a certain level, that's what happens, you know, more and more people know more and more, people know what the night difference is and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I want to just talk to the guy or the gal out there that is looking to invest and they're hoping to find that next Silicon Valley startup. That's going to become a trillion dollar corporation. And you're trying to get in at the ground level. What you're hearing from Mark and Mickey is it was just hard work day in and day out time over time after time. And then eventually it started to build up some momentum and eventually it started to gain some traction. Um, but we talked about this guys right before we started, uh, this episode, Hey, there was some stiff competition. I don't know if the rest of the audience understands this, if the unbeatable army gets this, but the gun manufacturing industry is incredibly, um, you know, competitive. So, when you guys did start to make some traction, there were some moments where you had some competitors that were doing everything they could to kind of set you back. How did you handle those moments? Well, they still do. Uh, okay, well, there you go. I, I'm, thanks for saying that, Mickey. You're this far into it, and there's still there's still a lot of people that are trying to take you down. 
yeah, it's kind of like you running back into that city center. You know, there wasn't anybody waving palm branches, uh-huh. and you know there weren't bands, a thousand violins playing in the background. It's just get in there and get back out, and get back in there and get back mm-hmm. out. You know, Jeff, the way that I look at it, um, there are a few laws that govern this universe that I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Pentecostal. I don't care if you're Baptist, Catholic. I don't care if you're an Indian chief. You're not going to change it. And one of those is the law of the harvest. Uh huh. I know the law of the harvest. You know the law of the harvest. For the listener who doesn't know what you're talking about, explain the law of the harvest real quickly. Whatever you plant. That's what you. That's get. what's going to grow up. Yep. You know, there's a there's a few uh, uh, there's a few caveats along the way. It, the scripture says a man sows the wind to reap a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, if you come along, you plant corn. Um, there's a duty that you have to that ground. The first thing you got to do is you got to look and you got to pick out the right grain if you want success. the The second thing you got to do is you've got to prepare the grain. You know, then after you plant, you're not done. You got it, and it's an ongoing process. That's right. You got to water. You got to eat the, uh, the pull the weeds. You got to kill the bugs. You know, you got to keep the crop healthy. And the, the for one to think that uh, you know we can go throw a handful of seed corn on the parking lot out here somewhere, and and one kernel somewhere will find a crack uh-huh. and come along next year, and there'll be a stalk of corn there, but the rest of it didn't grow. And so I think it's important for people to keep in mind that, uh, you know, if you, and that's what basically Mark's saying, doing the right thing every single day. And trust me, I've done the right thing. I've done the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the, and I know the dividends that both of them pay and the, uh, there's more, I, I would also, uh, caution people because there's, more to life than setting records and making money. All right. I've done that. And I can tell you that uh, you can't get caught up in your own press clippings. You, you know, you, go, you, you rock along, you think, man, I'm just because they say I am. And uh, if you're not careful, you get yourself in a place to where, you've done all this and, and you've got the plaques and you've got the money. And you look around and you're standing alone and, um, uh, you know, having, uh, ex- experienced some of that, it's not worth, you know, losing your, your family or your soul, uh, but you, you know, to make a trillion dollars. All right. You guys have just demonstrated both of you just now, but your company has demonstrated year in and year out, how you're consistent, how you guys do the right thing, how you face adversity and, not compromise in the process. And I want to talk about the reputation that Nighthawk Customs has in the industry in just a few moments. But now that we're talking about guns, I can't help but uh, take a little segue. So for the listener who's been following this podcast for a while, you know I like to do this little segment that I call the high five. And hey, just so you guys know, the idea here was that we would just go back and forth with our top five answers to a particular question. But I just told Mickey and Mark, you don't have to do five. Just give me one or two thoughts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list for you guys my five favorite guns that I've had a chance to shoot while I was in the Army. Um, and then I'd love for you guys to talk about uh, you know, a couple of the guns that you think, what a privilege to be able to fire that gun. Um, and, and we'll just kind of use this as the segment. So I'm going to give you now my five favorite guns that I had a chance to, to fire, and I'm going to kind of give them to you in order. So for me, I got issued early on as a sergeant, or I mean, as a young ranger, an AR 15, when the AR 15 was brand new, um, there was a, a, a modified version of this from Vietnam, but I was one of those first few guys to get it. I kept that that rifle system with me for many years and it became like uh, an appendix and and it was always available I mean it came like an appendage not an appendix because that's inside you and that would be weird um but it was always around me and that thing just became I became really comfortable with that thing um and it was probably one of my favorite guns to just grow up in the military on 
So for me, that one's number five. Here comes number four. Um, I became a machine gun squad leader in the Ranger Regiment. And I had the chance because the army was about to transition to a different machine gun platform, but they didn't know what machine gun system they wanted to use. So they said, give a bunch of machine guns to the Rangers, let the machine gunners and the machine gun leaders in the Ranger regiment figure it out. And I spent about a year trying almost every machine gun platform on the planet, putting them through every possible thing you could do to a machine gun. And in that year, I got a chance to fire everything. I it, it was awesome um, because it was kind of like given for me. It was like giving a kid a, a, a you know a toy or a candy shop and letting me do whatever I wanted to do in there. Um, I got a chance to hang on to and to um, during the invasion of Panama, um, my unit took down Manuel, the president of the country, Manuel Noriega's beach bungalow, and in there cool story you guys he had his uh, collection of guns and in there one of his guns was of course an army i mean a military issue m1911 and i got a chance to get a hold of manuel noriega's personal 1911 and um see that thing way back in in uh, in the invasion of panama that's number three on my list um in Somalia, believe it or not, I had a pistol, I had a rifle, and I also had right next to me in the vehicle a shotgun, and that shotgun was carrying non-ballistic munitions, meaning munitions that didn't kill people, but I walked around the streets of Mogadishu quite often with a pistol on my hip, a rifle um, slung around my back, and a Remington 870 shotgun in my hands, and I must have looked to those uh, folks over in Somalia, like a freak, because I'm a guy with all these different guns hanging, hanging off of me. Um, that Remington 870 was just fun to carry because it had little bean bags in there and little rubber pellets. And it was just fun to carry. Um, but for me, the number one, uh, most fun that I've had firing a weapon system in the military was I got a chance to fire the Dylan mini gun in combat. Um, from a helicopter and that weapon system is awesome it can fire six thousand rounds a minute so in a second it's burning through a hundred rounds and just the raw power that that thing has it it is it's spectacular so for me wow. that's number one on my list firing the dylan mini, mini gun in afghanistan was just awesome all right, now I'm going to pitch it over to you two. Tell me uh, about one or two of your favorite, the favorite guns that you've had a chance to fire. I've, I've fired a few machine guns, and uh, but I think probably just because the stories and the stories always matter to me. Of and, course, and experience matter, and and uh, in 2016 uh, we got to go to Lawler, Germany, and shoot all the Korth revolvers wow yes and we went to no military of course there they, they uh, their gun laws are very restrictive uh -huh. they can have a gun at home i think two per person is all they can own has to be unloaded locked ammunition separate and they get to take it to a a range ranges are not uh many around uh, but we got to go to this old military range that the the government had sold and and uh uh, shoot, you know, Korth was known as the mm -hmm. uh, world's finest uh, revolver. Started in 1953. The history there. See some of the old guns. We we did that. Uh, actually, have a target. Uh, we had they had these aluminum pieces that flap flip up, and of course, we we're kind of like you did that machine gun, uh, just <laughs> shooting, just yeah, trying, buddy. And uh, so I have that actually framed and dated in our. Uh, in our front entry area. And uh, then the other thing, Mickey actually got to go on this trip uh, when we started uh, distributing the Cosme shotguns. Uh -huh. uh, they're located in Ancona, Italy. And Mickey and Nelson and I and uh, Alan, Alan, White. Alan White went to Ancona, Italy. Uh, Cosme started in 1895. They're still in the original factory it's right there uh -huh. on the ocean. is that the it's, it, it's uh it's in ancona which is a village I mean, they are right uh -huh. on the 
from the uh, ocean there, wow. straight across from Croatia. Yeah. And uh, so we uh, got to see all that, and then we got to shoot the Cosme, uh, you know, all fully machine parts, same way as the Corth was, and went out to this range. And it seemed like we drove an hour and a half, didn't make, make it seemed like a long ways, and and uh, we shot. And, of course, they would take us to a range that was set up uh, for Olympic uh, skeet or trap or something, and they were flying like airplanes, you know, jets. Yeah. I'm not sure if I hit a single one, but I got to shoot a Cosme All shot right. for the first time. There, it's just a great memory. So, yeah. stories matter. That's a story. All right, uh, Mickey, your turn. Oh, and he doesn't do himself justice. I promise you, Mark shoots quite well. And uh, yeah, I'd be embarrassed to put my uh, how well I shot a you know a revolver in the front entrance way. So you must shoot a little bit better than I do. He does okay. Yeah. I will tell you that that was fun. And old Mr. Cosme, uh, he's, he was 73 at the time. And, boy, he is a hammer. Really? Uh, yes. It yeah. Was fun to watch him. Uh, it, it was fun to watch him still be on his game at 73. Jeff, my favorite weapon, my favorite gun in the world is a Harrington Richardson single shot 410 shotgun. Okay. That Martin gave me when I was nine years old. All right. It had medical tape wrapped around the forehead to hold it on. It looked like that they had pulled it up from the bottom of the well. Yep. It had rust on it. Uh, my dad's one of my dad's friends uh, was there, and he said, "I think I might can fix that for you." Uh, so he, he reblued it. Uh, he took the tape off and welded the piece on that needed for the forehead. Mm-hmm. I still have it. Me and it have been on many of the, uh, of an adventure, and I still get it out and, and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, my my second uh, favorite gun would be a Cosme shotgun, and you know Mark talked about the story. And when you begin to understand that in 1895, uh, a gentleman that was a fan of John Moses Browning looked at at the uh, at the recoil operation system on the on the Browning automatic, mm-hmm. and, and uh, then came up with his own design and the first shotgun that he made. Uh, the barrel of it was the was a pole out of one of his umbrellas, and uh, then the first automatic semi-automatic shotgun that he made. They still have. They still shoot. We got to hold it and play with it, and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, I I have a few guns, but probably my favorite gun here is a is a VI what we call a VIP. It's a, uh-huh. a government size 1911 with an antique nickel finish. It's hand engraved. It has uh, giraffe bone grips. Um, and and my my favorite one is Mark's personal gun. And Jeff, I take that gun to shows uh, as a uh, as a kind of a show and tell an object uh-huh. lesson, if you will, for the general public to be able to look and see a gun that's got uh, over nine thousand rounds shot through it. It spent more time in the floorboard of his truck than it had in the holster. <laughs> I, I promise. I'm, I'm sure it has. In my gym bag. Yeah. And, and for me to be able to have that up there as a show gun and it be a testament to the quality uh, of and, and, and workmanship of, of what we do here, I think is about as good a testimony yeah. as, as anything can have. And sometimes um, – he come got it one day. We were I was fixing to send the crew out, and he come got it, and I about had a stroke. He was going to clean it, and, <laughs> and you I said, "Don't, don't touch that I thing." Don't clean, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, he said, "Well, I've been shooting it," and I said, hey, "I know. <laughs> I don't, you know." So I got it back from him, and we took mm-hmm. it like it is because of the conversations that it yeah. generated. Yeah. And uh, and that so that's my favorite gun here. Well, guys, we need to give credit to the one that connected us all together, my buddy Keith Wood, who said, Jeff, you really need to talk to Mark and Mickey and the crew at Nighthawk Customs because you guys have so much in common. Um, and it's because of Keith. And just a big shout out to Keith Wood for helping getting, getting us connected um, today. But the reason I'm mentioning Keith is because, Mickey, you just gave the perfect transition. What I want people to hear before we wrap this episode up is you guys don't just make guns. You really make works of art. 
Um, and there are a couple of names in the gun industry worldwide that are synonymous with quality and precision, but not just uh, manufactured well. They have ta- you've taken guns to uh, a work of art, and you didn't build a company, Mark. You built a name, um, a name that is now synonymous with some of the best guns on the planet, um, especially the 1911 platforms that you guys make. And I want to talk for just a few minutes about the long, hard road that it took to build the name Nightcall Custom, because I don't know anybody who doesn't hear that name, knows guns, and immediately recognizes it as a work of art worth more than the price. And the price tag is not cheap, but always worth more than the price. So let's talk for just a minute, Mickey and Mark, about building a name instead of just building a company. That That is a fact. And the... Uh, you know, people talk about, well, it costs this much, you know, Jeff ought to be charging more for it. You're absolutely right. The, the bottom line is you get what you pay for. And when somebody uh, looks at me and, and tells me, well, I can go buy this, you know, this, and it'll do the same thing. Um, kind of, sort of, um, you mm-hmm. know, it's, if you're shooting one of our pistols and you're a bad shot, it will make you a good shot. If you're a good shot, it will make you a great shot. And that is a fact. Uh, I also like to remind people that there is nothing ever that takes the place of quality. And all of us uh, strive to, uh, you know, Hopefully, all of us strive. I, I guess that's probably not 100%, but most people are striving and trying to do better. And I see nothing wrong with that, you know, morphing into and, and easing over into, you know, their hobbies, their passion. Right. And, um, you know, one time I went down across the tracks and seen how the finer half lived, and I liked it. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and so it's a. Uh, it's a thing where it's easy to sell and you're correct. It is an, it is a name. And the thing that I try to drive home the most, Jeff, is uh, you're not just buying a gun. You're, you're embarking upon an experience. Yeah. And it's everything from how someone answers the phone to, uh, you, you know, what we produce to the follow-up uh, to how we treat people to uh, the fact that with our dealer base, I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that uh, it's important for them to, uh, for me to recognize that, that it's a bottom line driven business. What we do sexy, it's romantic, it's fun. But at the end of the day, that guy's got families depending on him. He's got bills to pay. He's got lights to turn on. And, um, when when the when the band's done playing and the and the dance floor is empty, and and the old piper's standing there wanting to be mm-hmm. paid, I want that man to be able to be paid. And um, you know, one of my one of my favorite quotes is from a speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gave, and he said, "If a man is to be called a street sweeper, he should sweep the streets as Michelangelo painted, as Beethoven composed music, and Shakespeare wrote poetry." He should sweep the streets so well that all of heaven and earth would stop and say, here lived a great street sweeper, and he did his job wow. well. Yep. And, and, and that literally is the way that we try to approach every day. I love that quote. Um, Mark, I want you to have kind of the last word in this episode. So you have not just built a name and it didn't come easy. It was being consistent in the face of challenges year in and year out, but you guys are building a culture worthy of that name. And I want you to just talk to people. I'm thinking right now of the parent who is raising young children and they're saying, I want our children to understand the importance of their last name. And I want that last name to mean something. Or I'm thinking about that business guy or gal who's starting a new adventure, a new endeavor. And they're saying, I don't want to just make money. I want to make a difference. I got to pay the bills, but I want to make a difference. How do you go from just making money to making a name, a, a name that is universally respected and more importantly how do you protect the culture around that name um 
it's not supposed to be a deep philosophical question, but I'm, I, I think I'm asking you, Mark, how did you do it? Because lots of people took the cheap shortcut and, and, and ran for profits instead of trying to build the, the long, hard road of building a name. I just think it's uh, very important to hire people that have your same values and that are committed uh, to doing the same things you are um, that are consistent in the way they operate, how they react, how they treat each other. And, you know, uh, not be just about hey, what is my job, but uh-huh. being willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done and making sure that the customer uh, is treated fairly. Uh, we have, you know, our core values written down and when we make decisions, we, uh, we, look at our values and whether we're hiring somebody or whatever, we say, hey, is this person or is this action going to be in, in uh, sync with what our values are? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think if somebody will do that and just consistently um, and be yourself, you know, hey, I wish I was more cool. I wish I was a better speaker. <laughs> I wish I could play music. You know, I wish I was more entertaining when I talk. But every time, you know, people try to be somebody they're not and everybody can see through that. So I encourage people to be themselves and, uh, and if you'll do that and just continue to do the right thing, even though it costs you money, learn from your mistakes, uh, and just be willing to work. You know, if you, if you're getting business for yourself or, uh, people think, Hey, I own my own business. I'm going to work 40 hours a week and, Everybody else in the world, <laughs> just like in the military, right? The leaders up front. That's exactly the leader, right. The leader sets everything. Mm-hmm. Hey, if I'm here and 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 working three days a week, four hours a day, or whatever it is, if uh, people see that, and then all of a sudden your 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 atmosphere and your culture is that way, and no one's fired up. But uh-huh. if if you're leading from the front, if you're saying, hey jump in this jeep we're going back in mm-hmm. there was guys that wasn't ready to jump in that jeep until you said right jump in the jeep we're going back and uh, there's not many leaders in the world but we we are blessed with leaders and and uh, we are blessed a lot of people want to be a part of this environment and uh, hey, it's cool building guns yeah it's cool to see and do all the things we do so that's a great thing but uh, we really go through those things and and they they have to have those talents and gifts and if you'll consistently do that then you'll keep that culture and as you grow it is more difficult and and it's even more important that you have people that have the same values you do and and that would be my input one 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 of the things that mark did not mention is uh and and i believe it's very important one of the things that he uh, didn't say is we pray a lot around. All right. And, it, you know, the, the scripture plainly states that, that there's a, uh, there are things you need to be seeking after, and a lot of these other things will take care That's of right. themselves. Yep. And so I, I, I want you to know that, uh, in, and oftentimes it's him that's leading the prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not unusual for him to stop and pray for somebody in an airport, you know, literally. Wow. And so, um, or over the telephone or driving uh-huh. down the road. If he feels led to pray, we're, we're going to stop and pray. That's but just but nothing's is. worse than not being led to pray. And yeah. it all up. Yeah. Too. So <laughs> it's, got, it's gotta be, it's gotta be that way, but you gotta be willing to. And, uh, I just, uh, I, I want to see good things for people. And yeah. I, if people are listening to this, I don't know if there'll be 10 people or 10,000 people listen to this, but let's hope 10,000. If one person gets it and, and they, uh, you know, if they're not happy the way their life is going and, and, uh, uh if you continue to do the same thing, it's probably going to be the same yeah. way. And if they want to make a change, then that's, Hopefully, some things that we talked about yeah. three of today might help. So yeah, that's my hope. Uh, mine too. 
hey guys, you don't just make the finest pistols on the planet, but you really make the finest firearms. And I'm talking shotguns and rifles and revolvers and knives. So let's say that somebody's listening to this and they want to get their hands on one of your guns or your knives. Um, where do they go? How do they find you? They can find us on Facebook. They can find We are easily accessible, Jeff. They can find us on Instagram, uh, nighthawkcustom.com, or they can call my line directly, 870-929-6287. Wow. There you go. Talk to the boss man himself. Look at that. Free number. Anytime. <laughs> We'll be happy to talk to them. You yeah. see how Mickey is? We have uh, seven or eight other account managers that have the same value, same uh, desire to provide that customer service. Yeah. And these days, it's hard to find stuff. Somebody You're starts exactly right. You'll provide customer service. And you'll provide follow-up. And you'll do what you say you're going to do. You will be successful. Yeah. And people will start to trust you. Yes. Thanks, guys, for spending a few minutes with me, and uh, I hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you. Hey, you just heard from these two guys. You're going to face challenges. All of us do. In fact, the podcast exists to help people that are facing challenges. And Mark and Mickey described today how to be consistent in the face of your challenges. I just want to say thanks for joining me for this episode of Unbeatable. If you just found this podcast, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media? You can catch us just about anywhere by searching at Unbeatable Podcast. And if you've been following us and you really like what you're hearing, why don't you rate us? Go to your favorite podcast platform and just let everybody know your thoughts on this podcast. And hey, guys, I just want to tell you, I am thrilled that you're connecting with us. I got a free gift that I want to give you. It's called the Unbeatable Army Survival Guide. It is totally free, not going to cost you one penny. It is my resource to help you when you're struggling and facing some challenges. And all you got to do to get it is just go to unbeatablearmy.com. I want to say thanks for joining me on this episode, and I'll see you right back here next week.